lovers, welcome to Get Real, a podcast hosted by the National Animal Interest Alliance through which we'll have deeply honest conversations about animal research so we can learn together and make compassionate choices about our medical future together. Welcome to episode 23 of Get Real. I'm Dr. Cindy Buckmaster, your host for Get Real, and I want to ask you something. What would you do if you worked with research animals and you were certain they could receive better care than they were getting? Now, a lot of folks would probably just get aggravated and complain about it and maybe even leave their job, but what if you could do something to help? What if you could find better ways for folks to care for their animals and their science and actually help them change things for the better? Would you find the time to do that for your organization? What about the entire research community? Our guest today is Jennifer Caesar, and she's decided to go large with this concept. She'll share her journey and her ideas with us today on Get Real. Thanks for joining us today on Get Real, Jennifer. You are a very unusual person who's uh, very, very passionate about animals in research and the folks who care for them, and of course, the patients who benefit from all of this uh, critical work. And you're so passionate about it that you've taken a huge leap of faith. And I want to take some time to talk about that. But before we get into that, I just want to break things down for our listeners to give them some background context, because uh, not all of our listeners are in research and lab animals. So the first thing is that research animals don't live generally in labs with research researchers, right? They live in these high-tech facilities that are regulated beyond uh, belief <laughs> with respect to air quality and water quality and, you know, even the final rinse temperature when we wash equipment. And these facilities are called vivaria or vivariums. And the folks who work in the vivariums are specially trained laboratory animal science professionals, right? So we have specially certified husbandry people and specially certified vet technicians and specially boarded veterinarians and behaviorists and compliance people. And there's a whole host of careers that are specialized to just caring for research animals. So these folks don't actually do the research necessarily. They're the people who are highly trained to care for animals that live in settings where studies related to human and animal health and disease are conducted, right? So these are highly specialized people that have to understand everything there is to know about uh, animals and research. And then also they have to understand quite a bit about the studies that the animals are involved in in order to do their job well. And that means then that the caregivers need to have a pretty strong partnership with the researchers because they're working with these animals together and the caregivers are with them more than anyone else, including the researchers in most cases, right? And so that partnership is really critical. And the problem is that that partnership in most research organizations is a bit fractured and I can't stand it, but that is a fact. And there's a reason for that. I mean, there's a lot of pressure on researchers from their institutions to produce, 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 and keep that grant money coming in. And we, we talked about that in a previous episode called the hamster wheel of science. So there's a lot of pressure on them. And then at the same time, the laboratory animal care programs have a tendency to run themselves a bit inefficiently. And then that creates more issues, you know, between the researchers and the laboratory animal science professionals because the researchers are trying to get things done as quickly and as well as possible. And the lab animal community is trying to take care of the animals really, really well. But sometimes there's some gaps in their efficiencies. And this is something that you have become very vocal about, right? 
You are someone who has worked directly as a researcher and also someone who has worked directly in the laboratory animal care profession, right? So you've sort of been on both sides of this fence. And one thing you shared with me is that you became very frustrated by your experiences in both of those professions. And that is what motivated you to sort of strike it on your own to change things for the better. And so maybe we can start there. I think it might be helpful if you could just give us a brief summary of your background and some specifics about what you were involved in as a researcher and also as a laboratory animal care technician and how that led you to do what it is you do currently. Yes, absolutely. So I started my career as a husbandry technician, and that is somebody who, as you explained, is a caregiver. We change the cages, we monitor the animals, we report any sick animals. And I noticed in that role that sometimes animals would be in cages where they should have been separated. Sometimes if we were breeding animals and they were in cages too long, the mother and the pups, Sometimes they would start breeding with each other and then you would start to lose track of important genetic information and lineage. So you no longer know what you're working with when you have animals, not to mention that the crowded space of these cages is unsafe for the welfare of the animals. So I started to see a lot of that as a husbandry technician. I also noticed um, when we would see sick animals that our process of notifying our animal health technicians was lengthy. We would start our shifts very early. But sometimes they would not come until the afternoon, depending on how many reports were made. Maybe they didn't see those animals until the next day. So that was another thing I noticed, just the welfare of the animals, depending on people's schedules and workloads, was not always prioritized. When I moved into working with animals in the research lab, I would notice the same thing, as researchers are very focused on getting the end product. If we need 10 animals of a certain age for a specific experiment, we will breed as many animals as we can to get those animals quickly so that we can then do our projects. We're not always thinking clearly or having foresight about that breeding or if we're breeding in excess, we're just thinking tunnel vision, need 10 animals, specific age, let's breed everything we got to get that result. Then what happens to those animals after the fact is they sit around, some of them keep breeding and aren't used, and it's just a lot of unnecessary waste of animal lives. So between being on the animal care side and then being on the research side, I would just observe a lot of animal waste happening and that the animal's welfare was not being prioritized. Yeah, so that's not okay. And I think our listeners are probably a bit horrified right now. And of course, we're talking almost exclusively about mice in this case. Over 95% of the animals we work with in research are mice. And, and let me give a little more background about why we're doing all of this breeding with mice and why you know mice are such an important model so that folks really understand why this is an issue. So about 97.5% of the functioning genes in mice have a human correlate. And so they're very powerful models for studying genetic diseases or even just trying to study the way genes influence health in organisms, right? If we're trying to figure out what gene contributes to this or that, let's say, for example, liver function, we can do things um, like turn genes on and off to kind of get at that, right? And find out, well, if you turn it off, what's not happening, right? And if you turn it back on, what is happening? And of course, I'm simplifying it, but you can do this for a variety of things in mice and really get a solid understanding about what that gene is actually doing, right? And then what you've got to do is you've got to get the mice to reproduce so that you have a lot of that 
a kind of animal that is genetically manipulated for study. And that's where all of this breeding comes in. Um, and it can be quite extensive. Then you've got to go and evaluate those animals genetically to see if you have what it is you set out to create, right? And in the course of that, there's already some animals who won't have what it is you're looking for. And those animals have to be humanely euthanized because they're not relevant for the study. But that's not what you're talking about. What you're talking about is that those breeding schemes could be more carefully designed if people had more knowledge about what it is they were doing with respect to breeding those animals. And mice vary according to strains, so there's all this variability, right? And then, of course, the genetic manipulations can add to that complexity. And so there's a lot of background knowledge that needs to be understood about the animals themselves in addition to the gene you're trying to manipulate in order for you to determine, well, what is the right amount of animal? How do we right-size this? Because what I'm hearing you say, and I know you're telling the truth because I have seen it myself for over 25 years, just exactly what you said. Throw in all these animals together and see what you get, and then euthanize a whole bunch of them. And it's horrifying. It is not uncommon. And I've certainly had technicians come to me and say, you know, I had a hard day because researcher X came down and said, hey, I don't need these 60 cages of healthy animals. Just euthanize them all. That is a really hard thing to do when you're a caregiver and by default, really love these animals. This is how they do this work. Um, and it's important that they do in order for them to do it well. Well, that's not okay. And that is a lot of waste. And so that infuriated you and it infuriates me. So I'm really interested then in what it is you have decided to do to help solve this problem. Yes. Um, like you said, it, it, it was very heartbreaking. It was hard to watch. And there were a lot of moments where I felt like my hands were tied. I didn't get to make the decisions about what happened to these animals. I had to follow the directions and requests of management and other researchers. So I might be able to give recommendations. I can give best practices, but still at the end of the day, I could not have enough influence on what people were deciding to do and how they were managing their studies and their work. So I then became very passionate and said, okay, how can I actually help? I've been on this side of research and I've been on the other side. How can I actually help? And I decided to start my own consulting company where I work with organizations to help them fill in these gaps. Because what I've noticed is aside from not having enough knowledge about the different technologies available to help assist this area of work, we don't have the resources. Supervisors, facility managers, vivarium technicians, everybody already has a full-time job. They already have a lot of work. So how how do you then go to an organization and say, hey, you need to figure out how to be more efficient. So we're going to add another thing on top of your already full workload and figure it out. That does not implore people to say, yes, let me go <laughs> add another layer of stress to my already stressful job. So I wanted to start a company that could help alleviate that stress because of the knowledge and experience that I have. Having been on both sides, I can help guide organizations for the best digital tools that can help their needs, whatever their organizational goals are. I can help with that training aspect and bring everybody together so that they're not having to put too much burden on people who don't have necessarily a tech background. Well, that's interesting. So what you're talking about here are digital solutions. So what kind of a digital solution is there for breeding mice efficiently so that you don't waste animals and you get the study mice that you're looking for? There are a number, actually, of software solutions out there that can help you plan ahead. So as you were mentioning, you can figure out what type of animals you need, how many. It will help you figure out, okay, this set of animals would be a good match so that you're actually getting closer to the genetics that you're looking for and breeding for. 
that's one aspect. The software can also help you figure out, okay, these animals need to be weaned, which means when you have new litters of pups, you can get notified immediately to say, hey, let's separate these animals so they're not inbreeding, like the animals aren't overcrowding in the cage and there's too many animals. So software in general will be a really powerful tool that can help notify you, even with breeders that aren't performing well. If you set up breeders and maybe you haven't had time to check to see how they're doing, if any pups have been born, software can help notify you and say, hey, you've had these breeders set up for three months and nothing has happened. Maybe you should think about taking them down so that you're not keeping these animals in a breeding care that's not serving a greater purpose. So I would say just in general, there's a lot of software solutions available that would help people identify those different metrics to make decisions quicker so that the animals are not sitting around, not being used, creating waste. Yeah. And in addition to waste of animals, there's uh, just a huge waste of space, right? I mean, what we hear all the time is, oh, I don't have enough space for all of these mice, right? And that's expensive because then what happens is institutions, they renovate, they expand, they build new buildings. And we're talking about millions and millions of dollars invested. And really what they should have done first is find the right technologies to help them be more efficient with their animals. And they probably wouldn't need to build anything in many cases. I mean, has that been your experience? Absolutely. Because if you are just allowing the breeding to take over and you're not being efficient in the way you're managing, yes, you're going to fill up a rack of cages very quickly. And then it's going to take somebody, whether it's a cage technician or a research associate, someone's going to have to come in there and then go through all those animals and figure out what do we need to keep. It can add a level of stress on both sides. Like that's a lot of cage changes that don't have to happen. A lot of repetitive work for the caregivers. That's more stress on all the machinery that we use to keep the cages clean. And there's also a lot of waste in like bedding and food for all these animals that may not have needed to exist in the first place. Then, like I said, on the research side, you have someone who may not understand the breeding. They have this pressure to figure out what animals should we keep? Which ones should we not? Will we need animals further down the line? I'm not sure what to do. So it just becomes this big cluster of stress on both sides for the vivariums and for the research. Yeah. And I think probably what the general public doesn't understand is that while our researchers understand their science quite well, they don't always understand the animal science all that well and these special techniques that are involved in them doing their science. And of course, that's another reason why that partnership with the laboratory animal care folks is so strong. But the truth is, even the lab animal care community isn't always well-versed on these various software tools that you mentioned. And they're so helpful. You know, what I'm hearing you say is, so now we're also wasting a ton of money. We're wasting grant money on the charges it costs to maintain all these animals that aren't relevant for the study because people aren't managing them well, because they probably don't know how, right? Not because they're lazy necessarily, although they're probably some of those, but mainly because they don't know how to do it better. They're just doing their best and they're not getting the help they need. And you know, they'll always say, well, it costs too much money. I don't want to buy that. Except for the huge amount of money you're wasting on food, bedding, the cost for caretakers. You probably wouldn't even need as many caregivers if you could get this thing to be done more efficiently, right? And so this this cage management thing is a big thing. Maybe to the folks listening, it doesn't seem like it's a big thing. But if over 95% of the animals we work with in research are mice, and you know, give me an estimate based on your experience, what percentage of the animals that exist currently are not actually relevant for the study? Would you say 25% of them? I was actually going to say about 25% would be probably accurate. 
Right. So it's a quarter of the space of a facility that the animals are housed in, right? Maybe a quarter of the workload, a quarter of the amount of feed and bedding that's being wasted. Now that costs a lot more, I'm quite sure. Absolutely. <laughs> than, than, <laughs> than a piece of software, right? But again, they don't, may not know software exists and then they may not know, well, which is the best software for this? Which is the right one for my needs? And of course, that's where you come in. But we're going to talk about that in a second because what I want you to do is I want you to tell me about a couple of other operational inefficiencies that you've experienced that you believe could be helped, you know, with a simple software program. Yeah. So we talked about managing breeding and the creation of animals, but another aspect would be managing staff and workloads more efficiently, specifically on the animal care side, because they are the first line of defense when it comes to dealing with the animals. They see them every day. They get to know these animals, their behavior. They know when something's not right with the animals. And so when you have somebody who is dealing with animals day in and day out on this level, it's really important that we realize what goes into their workday. And and in my experience, I've noticed that sometimes upper management does not have a clear vision of what the workday looks like for the technician. Yes, they might have their general schedule, which rooms they should be cleaning and caring for, but the balance of work is not always equal. You cannot say that because two technicians both are cleaning five rooms, that the amount of labor that it takes for them to accomplish those tasks is equal. And I think that is a fact that is missed. Technicians will get burnt out. They're like, I'm working harder than this person. This PI's animals take much more time to care for. I'm overworked. I need help. And then someone will say, I'm also busy. So I've noticed being a technician and working on the management side, that that was something that came up a lot. And it would cause discourse in the teams because people don't feel supported. They feel like their supervisors and managers don't understand how much work they have. So having a digital tool in place where you could have transparency on the workloads, where you could evaluate hey, these technicians are doing a lot of breeding, setting up matings and pairs. Setting up mating and pairs might take more time in someone's day versus a general case change. So if you could see those metrics, you could better balance the workloads. A couple of things about this bother me. If people are spinning their wheels and getting burnt out, a couple things happen. One, they don't do their jobs as well. They're not paying attention to the animals. They're not observing them as carefully as they would otherwise. And remember that mice are prey species, right? So it's not like they run around flaunting their illness if they have it, right? You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> they, they don't want to get eaten. So you really have to be highly trained to be able to recognize when a mouse is sick. And that's important. It could be important for the study and certainly for the health of the animal, right? And if you're so burnt out, you're not going to notice that. And and the other thing that's going to happen, and it always does, is your caregivers are going to start cutting corners. And now your animals aren't going to get the care they should. And then what happens to the data that comes from those animals? It's trashed. We're back to wasting animals. So first we're compromising their well-being, and then we're wasting them because the information that comes from them may or may not be valuable depending on what happens to the caregiver, right? That is a one-to-one -one relationship. If that caregiver is not happy and not satisfied and not being treated well, that will trickle down to the animals, period. Poor morale amongst the folks who care for animals in research destroys research. Simple as that. They're with them all day long. This may seem like a trivial thing. You're like, oh, we got to make sure that we balance their work. It's not trivial. The resentment happens. And here's another thing that can happen when people get really, really burnt out and really, really aggravated and they start to feel hopeless because they can't control these things, which I heard you touch on a little from your own experience, right? Your hands were tied. When they start to feel like that long enough, they also sometimes can become animal rights proponents. That has happened. People have said, you know what? This place is a wreck. I'm tired of this crap. And I don't think it's right. We're wasting animal lives. They're not doing anything about it. And then before you know it, you've created your own animal rights extremists because you didn't take care of these people. And that's critical. 
those people have to be cared for properly because they take care of the animals who take care of all of us. It's a big deal. We all talk about it. You know, the animal caregivers in this field, it's like a revolving door because it's really hard work. It's very stressful. They don't get paid enough. That is my very strong opinion. It's always been my very strong opinion. They're underpaid for what they do. There's so much risk in what they do and so much pressure, not a lot of room for error. And you overwork them and they're gone, right? So how much money is invested in training? A lot of money. Again, my guess is it costs a lot more money to lose people and train new ones over and over and over again than it does to buy a piece of software. Oh, I'd agree with that. What is the return on my investment? That's what I hear all the time. They're like, oh, this digital solution is so expensive. It's going to take a lot of time to implement. And it's like, okay, but you have to think about what's on the other side of that. You've been doing things a certain way for so long. What has that gotten you? And that is honestly one of the biggest challenges I face is that people are really set in their ways. The two things I hear all the time, we've always done it this way, it's too expensive. To me, it's laughable because in our society, if we kept having that mindset in every aspect of our lives, we would have never progressed. So I know when people say that, that there's a deeper concern behind that. It's just that fear of change. And I think if we really dealt with that and giving people the tools to feel secure to proceed, then I think we would start to see more change. Right, exactly. And you know, the other thing we keep hearing, and this is true, is since COVID, everyone is short-staffed. Well, you're short-staffed to do things the way you've been doing it. If you had a better, more efficient way to do it, maybe you wouldn't feel so short-staffed, right? You wouldn't have as many animals to deal with if you were managing cages properly, for example. And if you were managing workloads, you wouldn't be losing people and all of these things, right? So short-staffed, I think, is a relative term. There couldn't be a more opportune time to kind of rework this now and sit down and strategize. And I mean, I think you'll get buy-in from the people above you who are the people that supply the money when you sit down and you say to them, listen, this short staff thing doesn't seem to be going away. And I have recognized some operational inefficiencies that could save us people and money and time and animals and get us to treatments and cures a lot faster. And I'm sure that the researchers would appreciate that as well. And that might do a lot to repair some of the friction that sort of naturally exists between those two populations of people. Um, give me one more example of uh, practice in lab animal care that you believe could be improved by just using the right digital tool. You mentioned our veterinary staff that works in these facilities. It is their job to make sure that sick animals are receiving proper treatments and getting care and that the animal's welfare is prioritized. And sometimes when technicians are working and they see a sick animal and they report it, it may not be in a expedient manner that this issue is addressed, which means that the animal is suffering for a longer period of time than necessary. So if you had a way that you could be notified in real time, hey, we have a serious case that needs immediate immediate care now, please advise as necessary. That would help with the care of the animals overall. So for me, I feel like having the software in place to notify faster, to care for the animals and treat the animals faster, make better decisions about the life of that animal, especially if it is an animal actively in a study and having the researcher involved and they know what's going on with their animals in real time as well. That really helps to cut down on sick animals having to wait too long for treatment. But on top of that, sometimes the manifestation of disease is part of the study. And the researcher isn't hearing about this for a day or two. And that could be data lost depending on the nature of the study, right? I mean, so all of this information, there isn't any reason to wait when there's software out there that can help you get that information to everybody immediately. So I don't want to hear it costs too much money. That animal might be wasted entirely. So now we have animals suffering for no reason at all. And I am absolutely not okay with that. Exactly. It's too many losses on each side and it doesn't have to happen. And we can do a better job of preventing those things from happening if we would just invest 
Yeah, and some digital solutions. It's just so fascinating. And you're absolutely right. All of this slows down the rate of discovery and the development of treatments for disease, right? Which is why we're doing all of this. So tell us now what you decided, you, Jennifer Caesar, you said, you know what, one day you woke up and you said, I had enough of this. Take us on that journey. What did you decide to do about it? And where are you now with all of that? Yes. Yeah, so I decided to start my own consulting company. It's called Vivalytics Consulting. The name is actually a word that I put together, Vivarium Analytics. And it's speaking to the fact, if we have digital tools in place, we can prevent a lot of these things from happening from the get-go. I want to help organizations figure out what their goals are, what their needs are. I feel like I'm a very critical thinker. I love coming up with solutions and creative strategies and thinking outside of the box. And I don't think there are a lot of people who are able to to do that in their current roles. Sometimes they just don't even have the bandwidth. So I like to be that person and be like, I'll take that burden. Let me look at the process. Let me help you figure out what challenges you guys are facing and what solutions will help you. And on top of that, let me guide you through it. Let me show you how to set up and change this process from A to Z. And then at the end, let me show you how this actually worked to improve the issue that you were having from the beginning. Yeah. So what you've come up with here is an incredibly needed niche. I really admire you for doing this. You're offering people an opportunity to really maximize operational efficiency and really do what we talk about on Get Real all the time, you know, get to a place where we have stronger science, faster cures, and fewer animals. That's where we all want to go, right? If it were up to me, I would say that it should be a condition of grant funding for every vivarium and research program to have somebody like that, always promoting this efficiency. This would be another solution for the reproducibility issue we keep hearing about, right? Let me ask you a question. Why are you so passionate about this? You know, big picture. What really drives you to do this? Because you've taken on quite an undertaking. You launched that on your own. You already know you're going to get a lot of resistance because people are resistant to change. And here you are. And you don't sound to me like you're going to back down anytime soon. This really means something to you. Why? I believe in the work that we do. I believe in science and I believe that all of our work matters in the big scope of everything. So for me, I care deeply about medical advancements. I care deeply about the humane treatment of animals used in research. And I care deeply about the people who are caring for these animals. I'm going to be that voice. I'm going to say we can do better and we need to. I'm going to charge ahead. I'm not going to back down because of a budget or someone thinking I'm too busy to take on a digital transformation. No. I'm just going to keep charging ahead because I know we can do better and I want to see us do better. And I care deeply about that. Jennifer Caesar and Vivalytics. I just love everything you just said and your passion for this and your genuine motivation to do good things in this world. And I appreciate you sharing all of that information with us today on Get Real. Thank you, Cindy. I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm working to get my name out there. I want people to know they have a resource they can come to and that they're not alone in these challenges. So I appreciate the opportunity and the platform as well. Listen, every single research animal's life matters. And I think it's important to remind everyone that working with these animals is a tremendous privilege. It's not a right. We should be doing everything in our power to improve their care and subsequently, the reliability of the information we collect from them. Anything less is irresponsible and, quite frankly, indefensible. Our patients are relying on us to get it right. No more excuses. Please reach out to Jennifer and find out what's available to help you do this work better. Her contact information can be found on the episode response page of our website at getrealpodcast.info. And while you're there, why not click on the support link, too, and commit to a small monthly donation to keep Get Real rolling. We still have so much to talk about, and I appreciate your engagement. 
I'm Dr. Cindy Buckmaster, your host for Get Real. Thanks for joining us today. Up next, no one works harder for mice and their researchers than Amy. No one. Find out what I mean on the next episode of Get Real. We'll talk soon. <laughs>